Well, hello everybody and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for October the 26th, 2023. And let me just go ahead and say, if you hear a bunch of weird noises, bells, children in the background, it's because when I'm recording this, the homeschool co-op is being let out. So uh, I apologize in advance. I'm going to do my best not to be distracted and I hope it's not too distracting to you. But again, I welcome you and I'm I'm happy to have this time with you. I hope that everybody's week has gone well. Um, by the time this comes out or airs, it'll be Thursday morning and hey, it'll be uh, the weekend before we know it. But what a beautiful, beautiful week it is. Um, again, I've enjoyed my time with you thus far going through Acts. I haven't gotten too many questions or calls or threats or anything like that about some of the stuff that we've been talking about, because we have been talking about some controversial topics, especially given what's going on in the world around us today with Israel, with Hamas, where we find ourselves is in Acts chapter 15. And no, this is not about Israel and Hamas, but it is about the fallen tent of David, right? restoring Israel, all of these different things. So that's what we've been focusing on. Also, we've been looking at this question that the early church faced of, what do you have to do to be saved? Um, and for good measure, we've been focusing on the form of government that the Lord gave to figure things out, that the, that the Lord gave for how the church ought to be run. And what we find is, fine, if, if you don't want to call it Presbyterianism, that's fine, but certainly it was all about the presbyteroi, to use the Greek term here. Uh, apostles and elders gathering together to make decisions for the whole of the church. We've heard from Peter, we've heard from Paul and Barnabas, we've heard from James, and now where we're picking up today is with the actual letter that is being sent. Who's it being sent to? If this is your first time with us, you probably don't know. If you have been with us, you should, but we should know that at the beginning of Acts chapter 15, we find out that some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. Unless you're circumcised according to the circumcision or according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. What's going on here in the early churches? They're trying to figure out what salvation is. You've got some that say to the Gentiles, that's great. You want to be Christians? Perfect. But you got to be a Jew first. It means you got to be circumcised, receive the sign of the covenant. That means you got to follow dietary laws, ceremonial laws, all of these different things. And then if you follow those, then you can be a Christian. Those from Antioch and in the Gentile world said, Ooh, wait a minute, this is not what we were sold, right? That's not what we were told. We're told that we're saved by grace. Well, that's what we would go on to hear from Peter, Paul, Barnabas, from James as well. James would actually quote Amos in reference to what's going on with the Gentiles. The point he's making is you can't tell them they got to be Jews first because they're already part of the fallen tent of David being restored. Because the real Israel being restored is not about some plot of land. It's not about rebuilding a temple somewhere or anything like that. The real Israel is the church that is being built. Why? Galatians chapter 2, because all those who have placed their faith in Christ are the children of Abraham the real children of Abraham. Just like in Romans, we hear that a Jew is not one who is a Jew outwardly, but one who is inwardly. Circumcision of the flesh doesn't matter. It's circumcision of the heart that matters. Y'all, we are bound by faith, not ethnicity, not bloodlines. My goodness. Anyway, that's what we've been focusing on. And where we come to today is the actual letter that is being sent back to the Gentiles who were told, hey, you guys got to do all this stuff. And it's the letter that the apostles and the elders agreed to send. 
Now, let's pray, and then we'll dig in because we're going to get through this letter quick, and then we're going to see something happen that brings a whole new message all together, and it's not by mistake that it happens here. I'm getting ahead of myself there. Let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is to have this time together, that, that we have the history of what took place in the early church to establish so many things. We have theology that is poured out before us, full of doctrine and teaching on what it means to really be saved. And also today we find the practical, definitely the practical, as we see human nature, as we see disagreement, as we see your hand at work still, but even some disappointing things. So give us wisdom, help us to understand, guide us by your Holy Spirit, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so where we are picking up today we'll start in verse 22 again, right? If you recall, one of the things that I warned against was this idea that the apostles were seated on high, that James is some kind of pope or bishop or that kind of stuff. James shares his judgment, which is really like James saying, all right, here's my opinion on the matter. And then we find out after everybody's had the opportunity to speak, we know about Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and James. Verse seven says that there is much discussion. It doesn't say who's taking part in the discussion. We know that a a lot of different opinions have been shared. But in verse 22, this is what we find. It says, then the apostles and elders with the whole of the church, and this isn't one particular church, it's representatives from all the churches, but with the whole of the church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter. So this letter encapsulates what it is, the meeting, the Council of Jerusalem, the first Presbytery meeting, what they came up with. And this is what they came up with. It says, beginning there in verse 23, the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. And then they cut right to the chase. Verse 24, we have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. All right, pause for just a second here before we, we even read verse 28. Do you get the paradigm? The apostles, the elders, they've met to decide this question. Yeah, back in verse six, the apostles and elders met to consider this question of, of, of what are we gonna make the Gentiles do? Do they have to be Jews first? How does salvation work? They've met to decide the question. They've come to a decision and they're sending the, the Christians, Gentile Christians in these areas, Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, right? A, a large geographical area. They're sending them a letter, and it's a letter of instruction, but they are sending it with their own representatives. And did you catch why, right? Um, again, verse 27. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. Y'all, not only is this a loving approach to take when there is a question. This shows the severity of what's going on here. 
that it's not even enough to just send a letter. They are sending representatives, men who were there, to go and say, all right, th this is what's going on, right? The letter is the piece that they are taking with them. However, that relationship, that relationship of, of connectionalism, how all the churches in these different areas, they're all connected to one another. They are one church. That is what is being promoted and preserved here. Okay, it's not just a letter. It's not just a memo. It's not a command, just a command. Instead, they're sending these men along, as well as Paul and Barnabas, they're going back to. All right, so what are they going to say? Verse 28, it says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from blood sacrifice to idols, from blood, or excuse me, from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. And that's it. That's the end to the letter. Does this sound familiar? It should, because we talked about this yesterday when, when we read James's judgment, okay? And that doesn't mean that James offered some edict or some papal bull or anything. That's not what this is. This is simply the apostles and elders gathering together and saying, okay, how can we encourage the Gentiles that are new believers? And how are we going to straighten out this mess about them being told they got to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses and all this stuff? And this is what they did. They said, watch yourselves, you know, refrain from these things. And again, y'all, this is not about dietary laws. Okay. In fact, if you would like proof of that, fast forward to Romans chapter 14, and you see that with those Christians, things have advanced enough by the time you get to Romans 14 that Paul says you can eat meat sacrificed to idols unless your conscience is telling you not to, right? But at first here, remember, God is forging his church. The Lord Jesus is building his church. And so the things that are listed in the letter are things that were of particular concern for Gentiles. It had to do with the system of, of, of God and goddess worship, right? Consuming blood, consuming meat sacrificed to idols, sexual immorality. All of these were linked to the culture of their time. That's what this is. And no, I'm not saying that the culture of our time has changed and so this doesn't matter anymore. Y'all, that... That's not the point of this. The point is they're taking a loving approach with the Gentiles. They are warning them about the vestiges of their own society that if they fall into, it's going to be a problem. And they're sending Paul and Barnabas and Judas and Silas, all for, for, as an act of goodwill. Now, what would happen next? Verse 30, it says, the men were sent off and went to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. So, yeah, mission accomplished. They weren't calling to give them more stuff to do. They weren't calling to place requirements on salvation or, 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 or sending this letter to place requirements on salvation. They were doing this to encourage them and to love them. And lo and behold, that's how it was received. This teaches us something. Okay, teaches us several things. Number one, how you do something is just as important as what you do often enough. Okay, how you do something is just as important as what you do 
often enough. And I'm not saying that, that how you do something is fine if you don't end up. No, no. Both are important. If you have a task before you, you got to get it done. You got to do the right thing. You got to follow God's word. However, the way that you follow it is just as important as the act of obedience itself. It shows us that, but also it shows us what the Holy Spirit can do. Think about what's gone on here. In Antioch, in Syria, and Cilicia, some people showed up and said, hey guys, line up, it's time to be circumcised. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but um, that would throw any people group, any church into disarray. So that's the situation. Sorry, I got a fly in here. It's the situation that they're facing. This is an intense time of disagreement and dispute and all of these problems. But what this shows us is when the Holy Spirit is in something, y'all, nothing is beyond redemption. The Lord is always working. And that's what we see on display here. The Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit intervenes and the people are encouraged. Verse 32, Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. Now, what does this mean? We don't know exactly, okay? Remember prophesying, right? Foretelling the future, forthtelling the word of God. That's what I tend to think is going on here. They're preaching, right? They are telling forth the word of God with the strength of prophet. That was their gift, right? Um, verse 33, after spending much time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. Mission accomplished, y'all. The church is still together. Verse 35, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of God. So the dynamic here that you find is that Silas and, and Judas are those sent as emissaries to, to convey what had happened in Jerusalem. They go to Antioch, they gather the church, they preach, they prophesy, they pull things together. And then the church in Syria, Antioch, Cilicia, they send them back to Jerusalem with a message of peace. The unity of the church has been upheld. But Paul and Barnabas don't go back. Instead, what we find out with Paul and Barnabas is that they remain in Antioch. Now, this is where interesting things happen. Y'all, as I've just alluded to, even though this is a very neatly packaged chapter up to this point, right? Um, verse six, the, the apostles and elders met to consider the question. You hear all of these speeches and then they write this letter and they send it with, 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 with Silas and Judas and, and, and all of this stuff. And it looks just so sequential and it looks so packaged. As I've just said, there has been major turmoil as a result of what we've read in Acts chapter 15. Major confusion, likely major hurt, right? Major concern. All of these different things have happened. And the Lord has intervened here. He's prevented a church split is what he's done. Because think about how easy it would have been for Antioch and, and Syria and Cilicia to say, uh, yeah, we ain't getting baptized, or, or, or excuse me, we're not getting circumcised, but we were baptized, no, no circumcision. We're not going to follow your dietary laws. And if in Jerusalem, they'd say, well, you got to do this. You have a major church split. And you have a church split right after the church is getting started in these places. But the Lord stopped it. The Lord intervened despite sharp disagreement. And so with that in mind, we come to the section that we come to next. 
another time of sharp disagreement. And there's lots of ways we could read this, but let's just look at it first. Verse 36, it says, sometime later, don't know how much more time, not a lot of time, but sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. All right, Paul's marvelous idea. We know they've done this once already. They're strengthening the churches. That's what they do. They go and they start new churches and they go back and they encourage the churches that they've started. Fine, right? Verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Interesting. You get the dynamic here? Paul and Barnabas, the dynamic duo, are doing their thing, right? Paul says, hey, it's time to go loop back around, check on these people. Barnabas says, fine, but let's take John Mark with us. And Paul's response is no. He questions the effectiveness of John Mark's ministry. Why? Because John Mark left. We don't know the circumstances. We know that, that Paul and Barnabas were persecuted. Maybe John Mark left under that persecution. We don't know. We just know that he left. Uh, Paul uses rather strong words as the, in the, that he had abandoned their work with them, right? Because he had deserted them in Pamphylia. This is more than just, hey guys, mom said I got to come home for dinner. No, this is John Mark saying, I'm out of here, guys. And so when it comes time to go back, Barnabas is the one that says, hey, let's take him. Paul says, no, absolutely not. Now, different circumstances, right? But sharp disagreement. We've just come out of that, haven't we? Yeah, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Uh, verse 6, the apostles and the elders met to consider the question. Verse 7, there's much discussion over this. There is a sharp disagreement here. But we've just witnessed the Holy Spirit intervening, things coming together. Silas, Judas, they're sent to bring a message of peace. They return with a message of peace. It's beautiful. So what's going to happen with this disagreement? Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took John Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And y'all, that's what we get. That's what we get. There are many ways to read this. Some even are pondering, is this some sort of commentary on Paul and his faults? I'm not going to go that far. And the reason I want to now, if I had a tie on, I'd, I'd take it off and say Patrick's opinion here, because this is all that we get. We do find out that later, Paul and John Mark are going to be reconciled, right? We find it out in Colossians, they're going to be reconciled. They will once again work together, but it's going to be a while. As it is here, you have this incredibly effective team of Paul and Barnabas, and it's split up. Paul goes his way, Barnabas goes his way. You know, 
my opinion on this, how do you read this? What's the application? There's one thing that separates what we see in Jerusalem um, and Antioch, that whole conflict that we just read about with the Council of Jerusalem, and what we see with, with Paul and Barnabas and John Mark and Silas and this whole runaround. And it's this. Verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you. You know, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit isn't active in this that happens between Paul and Barnabas. But what I am saying is this. What we've seen is a tale of two conflicts in Acts chapter 15. One, when guided by the Spirit, is resolved. And it's a beautiful story. One is not resolved. And while I'm not going to say it's devoid of the Holy Spirit, what we see here is what happens when personalities get involved. And what we also see here is a painful reminder of what happens sometimes with the church. Y'all, in this life, no matter how united we are, we are always in danger of fracture. We are always in danger of disagreement. And sometimes, as we just read here, uh, sometimes it's not just a, a, a dispute. It's a verse 39. A sharp disagreement can come up. And sometimes people go their own ways. Now, the Lord is going to work, not so much because of this, but in spite of this. The Lord is going to continue to work. However, in no way, shape, or form is the end of Acts chapter 15 some sort of warrant for us to just have unlimited church splits, right? It's not the, it's not the formula that is present that allows us to say, well, sometimes things don't work out. No. The end of chapter 15, to me, is one of the saddest portions of Scripture. This is Paul and Barnabas, y'all. Think about what they've done. And they get in a disagreement, a sharp disagreement. Over what? over somebody that was involved in the work of the church and then just bailed on them. Paul won't have it. Barnabas will. And, 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 and we're never given the dynamics of this. It never goes in depth. Why is it in there then? Is it just to explain historically why Paul went where he went and Barnabas? That's part of it. But y'all, I think that this is in here for a warning. It's in here for a warning that we would pay careful attention to our unity, that we would remember how important it is that we be united together under Christ, that we would be reminded of our strength when we are united in Christ and how very quickly things can fracture. It's to be a reminder that once we put our hand to the plow, to use Jesus's language, don't let go until that row is done and then turn around and get ready to plow some more. It's a warning to us and a stark reminder that though the Lord is present, though the Spirit is acting, the people involved here are just that. They're people. The beauty of the gospel is, again, that it wouldn't always be this way. You would see that the Lord would prevail. We don't, we don't have the full conversations, but again, we know that Paul will once again become convinced that John Mark is an asset to the church and, and that his ministry is valid. As it is right here, it's just not in Paul's eyes. But the Lord works just the same. You see, that's how God is. He can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. 
It means he can do that with you and me. He can do that with old providence. He can do that with your church, if it indeed it is a church. But let us take this warning for what it is. Let us examine our wants, our desires, our goals. What's important? And let us see how hard it is, how devastating it can be when fellowship is broken. With that being said, I'll end this daily devotional with prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you've given to us, and I pray that we would take these things to heart, this mysterious little portion of Scripture, but a portion that is a painful reminder of of what often happens. Please protect our unity. Please let us weigh the cost of examining how we function. Let us commit to trusting in you, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And let me remind you a couple of things. Actually, three things. Number one, Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. Yes, at 8 o'clock, Open Door Sunday School class is doing breakfast. And let me tell you something. If y'all have never been around for one of these, you're just missing out. I don't know what else to say. It is always Fabulous. I don't know which one it is this time around, but it's always fabulous. So that's Sunday morning at 8 a.m. Sunday school at 9, worship at 10. We have the trunk or treat Sunday evening from 4 till 6, okay? And don't forget, congregational meeting to choose paint color this coming Sunday after the worship service. Now, with all that being said, again, thank you all so much for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday at 10. And if not Sunday, excuse me, Sunday, then Monday morning at 6 a.m., Lord willing. Until then, take care and have a great weekend.